So, Brad, you want to do the duties? Sure. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I don't want to. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. (laughs) Everybody wang chung tonight. (laughs) The movies. I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great. You probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Drew, can you drive any faster? We'll never make it to Orlando at this pace. Chill, Brad. I think you're taking Spearsy's last email a bit too seriously. He's not going to hurt himself. He's probably just coming off a wild turkey bender. Oh, yeah. Let me read it again for you, Drew. Dear Brad and Drew, the 80s are over, and so am I. Don't bother looking for me. But if you do, I'll be standing outside the old 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride in the back lot at Disney World, Friday at midnight. Goodbye, mad, mad world. If that's not a cry for help, I don't know what is. Maybe it's a little dark, but you got to admit, it'd be sort of cool to actually see that Disney ride again. I haven't ridden it since... Jeez. Yeah, since the 80s. Whoa, got to give it up to Spearsy for the dramatics. Hey, here's the turn. I think we're here. Spearsy! Where are you? It's Brad and Drew! We're here for you, man! You're still alive, my old friend. Whoa, he's quoting Wrath of Khan? Is that good or bad? Uh, if he's acting like Ricardo Montalban, I'd say that's bad. <laughs> come on out, Steve! Yeah, come out! Maybe we can record a podcast! That'll make you feel better! Yeah, man, any topic, <laughs> you name it. I just wanted to be about the end. The end of the 80s. The end of the good times. <laughs> the music. The end of my stash. Sure, pal. Any, anything you want, just just come on out. Come on out. Yeah, can, can we just make one request in return? I guess. Can we all ride 20,000 leagues first? Then I swear we'll tackle the end of the 80s. I mean, we have time, right? That's the one thing we don't have. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we go dark, very dark, as we talk about the songs that ended the 80s. Game over, man. It's game over. What are we going to do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? With me again for this triumphant series, it's my best buds, Brad and Drew. Hey, man. Howdy. Thanks for having me back. So oh, it's course. funny you would say we're going to go dark because I'm sitting here thinking about my choices and they're not dark songs by any stretch <laughs> yeah, of the imagination. I'm dark. I'm in a dark mood. Oh, man. I'm sorry about that. It's in a dark, dark place. Yeah. Well, I mean, I live I live here in, in, in beautiful Orlando, Florida, and um, it's that time of year where everyone comes to visit Orlando because the weather starts to turn a little cool. Yeah. So literally, I've been to Disney World or Epcot Center like three or four times in the last month. And I, I was there yesterday 
And as soon as I finish up, as soon as I finish this podcast today, I have to go back there again today. And then, uh, but the good news is, at the end of the night, I get to see Cindy Lauper in concert. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of you know first world Orlando problems. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're definitely hitting the park overload. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're in a dark place when you think Disney going to Disney World is going to suck. <laughs> you're just like that's a bad. I think when you come to town, they issue you a you know a, an annual pass. Because they just know you're going to end up using it a thousand times. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I want to give a shout out to Alexander Cardoso Solis, who back in July sent us an email, uh, PPTMN that is, asking us to name, I guess, just the one song that started the 80s sound and the one song that ended the 80s sound. And rather than just answer his question and be done with it. We have turned it into an epic, uh, what has it been now, three or four? We've cleverly pulled this into its own yeah. story arc. Yeah. Become its own podcast. That's because you're a giver. <laughs> yeah. Give, give, it's, give, never take. Well, I think it's, yeah. I think it's a fascinating it's topic. It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. So, so going back and, and talking about what it is he's looking for, he's looking for us to give a song, not, I mean, not necessarily the first hit of the 80s and not literally the last hit of the 80s, but what are the songs that – First gave us a hint that the decade was about to change music-wise. And then what songs, as we'll talk about today, um, started giving us a hint that the 80s sound as we know it and love it is over and has evolved and we're starting to see the 90s around the corner. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about this topic since we got the email. And here, here's an idea. I think that the, the end of the 80s is, is planted in... Uh, the beginning of the 80s, I think you see successes from bands like uh, Duran Duran and things like that. And people at the people at the music labels, you know, it's not the music friends, it's the music business. They want to make money. They see something that's popular and they start trying to ape it. And I think that that, um, you know, that those successes gave birth to things like the boy bands that we saw in the second half of the 80s. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you start getting towards the second half of the 80s and you've got you know, color me bad and boys to men. Yeah, and they've taken and those just groups like that yeah. that are total corporate. They've pulled the the elements of oh, we've got some attractive guys. I'm not yeah. saying they're not talented, but they're selling a you know they're selling a look, they're selling a package, and you know that was great for the music business. They sold a lot of records, but it wasn't you know it didn't have that same soul. Well, the epitome of that is of course Millie Vanilli. I think to me, you know, that's that was these two guys. They were kind of unique looking they had a good sound and it turned out it wasn't even them yeah. and that was all you know the music industry yeah. but you know i also felt that in 19 about 1986 is when i think i saw a little bit of a shift i mean that's when the stuff started to change started to get a lot of like you said the aping from the music industry um but you also i mean it was it was when a lot of my favorite 80s bands had kind of kind of split by that point, the police split in 86, the clash kind of split up Duran Duran sort of split. Cause Roger Taylor and Andy Taylor left Van Halen kind of, you know, they split in 85 and they became Van Hagar in 86. So a lot of these groups that had been, that I had been following early eighties, hardcore had switched into this, you know, they, they either disbanded or they started putting out kind of meh albums. You know, they just changed their sound so much. They didn't sound like the original group, even, even some early, um, Depeche Mode, you know, I mean, they were starting to get into a totally different sound. Yeah, I was so tempted uh, to put. And you speak of Duran Duran, I was so tempted to put Notorious by Duran Duran on my list. Yeah, because uh, if you talk about songs that really made me just quit listening to a band, for some reason that's one of them to me. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. 
So, Alexander, uh, we're going to answer your questions today. Um, as you'll find out at the end of the show, we also asked our, uh, people who listen to the show for their suggestions. We'll come back with a separate podcast with reader suggestions uh, for the songs that ended the 80s. But in the meantime, let's get started. So, Brad, what is your first pick for songs that you think ended the 80s? So, my first pick is uh, maybe a little obscure, but I will, uh, you know, bear with me. We'll get to it. Uh, my first pick is Waiting for a Star to Fall by. Boy Meets Girl. That's an incredibly poppy selection. Yeah. <clears throat> so we talked a little bit about this in the last show, about what sounds kind of were... Uh, captured in the 80s and what i was looking for was kind of the last big hit that felt 80s that had a big sax solo in it and this has a great sax solo (laughs) i mean it is great the guy you know it's got all the chorus effects and he's up in the high register he's down the low register it's just great solo released in 1988 uh, but slowly climbed the charts and eventually made its way up to number five at the end of the year and yet all i really remember from it is the chorus yeah well it's catchy you know? it's catchy so it's yeah, performed it's... by the boy meets girl is a husband and wife team uh george merrill oh. and shannon rubicam and the other kind of 80s hook to this that made me say okay this is the one is they wrote how will i know and i want to dance with somebody who loves me for whitney houston Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and the song was inspired by a falling star that uh, Shannon Rubicam <laughs> saw while attending a Whitney Houston concert at the Greek Theater. <laughs> Jeez, could this get any more? I sound? mean, this is great. Jeez. I know it just all comes together. Um, they offered the song to Whitney Houston, and she didn't want it. Um, Belinda Carlisle's label made her record it for Heaven on Earth, but she didn't like it, and it didn't make the album. So they released it themselves in '88. I could definitely see this song not working for Belinda Carlisle or Whitney Houston. Yeah, the pacing is yeah. all the pacing is all wrong for them. And I can also kind of picture the music video for this if they had made one. I don't know if they. I never saw a music video for it, but it's it's got to be two people on the beach playing in the water. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. The song also is used in the end credits of Three Men and a Baby. Really? Yeah. I don't. I don't remember okay. it from that at all. Well, you'd left the theater at that point. It was just us <laughs> ushers sweeping up your mess. I'd left the theater long before that point. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. I'm happy to say. Oh my god! I, actually, I have. You've never seen Three Men and a Baby? Nope. Wow. Whoa. You know, though, it might it might have fallen kind of in that little. Um, you know, I always say there's this little uh, space time continuum issue with the '80s, where if you if you're at a certain age. Yeah, it was 1990. I was just out of college. I could barely afford peanut butter and ramen to eat. I don't think going to see a lighthearted movie about three <laughs> men raising an infant was really on my radar. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. My my All right. very quick explanation of what would have been a very long-winded point. Uh, <laughs> very good pick. Um, Drew, are you going to rescue us with something a little bit more dark? Oh, Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting. I have two choices. One of them that is a 
it's kind of like the end of the eighties. And it was, I think kind of the end of the eighties sound and it gave me something different. And then I picked a song and I'll talk about it later about a song that sounds very eighties, but it wasn't in the eighties. So the first one I chose was actually Tracy Chapman's fast car. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed so fast, it felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before, and your arms on that strap round my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. True story, Drew and I actually fought about who was going to uh, pick this particular song. This is a great song. And I, I, if you asked me when this came out, I would have said 1982. Or I'm sorry, 1992. Yeah, I was surprised when I first looked it up that it came out in 88. And I was pretty happy about that because I was like trying to find one where it's like that was the rule. It sounded so different than everything else. Yeah, and it that, showed, you know, showed what was to come. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was such a kind of in your face to a lot of what the music industry was coming out with, you know, that overly synthesized boy band pop. And here's this, you know, almost acoustic version of this song sung by this young woman. And it was just so heartrending. And it was great. It was, it was interesting because she actually, she is, she was performing at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday and she had finished her whole set. And she had gone off stage and Stevie Wonder was supposed to go on and he was delayed for some reason. And so they ushered her back out there and now she was on TV and she happened to sing all by herself she, with her guitar, Fast Car. Yeah. And it was the first time people had seen it and they were just blown away by it. Eventually hit number six on the Hot 100 huh. and number 10 in the UK. Yeah. And and, and it then, opened up the door for people like Tori Amos and oh yeah, you know, Sarah McLaughlin and Jewel. Um I think, you know, I think a lot of that kind of female singer songwriter, it's yeah. different style wise, but I think it opened the door for those people in the nineties. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like kind of a, uh, what I'm not sure what the word is like a total, total guy by admitting that I don't own an album by any of those people you just mentioned, but I do own Tracy Chapman's first album, which, which is, it's an amazing album. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I love Sarah McLaughlin's voice. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Sarah McLaughlin. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't think I'm sex. I have them, the Indigo Girls. I have a few others like that that I just the the sound is so different. I really like it. Yeah. So, but uh, that song was also uh, ranked number one sixty seven on the Billboard's five hundred greatest songs of all time. Nice. Jeez, that's a great song. Just like her and a guitar, and well, so. and the the lyric is just it's so powerful. Definitely, I mean, it's just it's so it's two people trying to escape poverty and yeah. and alcoholism and everything. And like I'm that. a sucker I mean, for a song that tells a story, and this one tells a good story. Yeah. You know, it's not yep. the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. But what is? <laughs> well, what is I really? guess really only the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I, I'm gonna turn things super dark for you guys. Ready? Here we go. Really? Yeah. Oh, you? No. Darker than the skit. Darker than the skit. <laughs> Here's the bangles with a hazy shade of winter. Time, time, time. See what's become of me. While I looked around for my possibilities, I was so hard to please. Look around. Okay, so here's the reason 
why I think this is the darkest. This is this is to me is the perfect song. In fact, I was I was gonna throw down a challenge and say, you know what? I don't need two songs. This one song oh. would do the trick. Um, yeah, talk about it again in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, obviously uh, most people know that uh, the Bengals uh, covered this. It was a Simon and Garfunkel tune from 1966, and it charted at uh, number 13 at the time. It was, of course, a song about the passage of the seasons, uh, focusing on the gloominess of winter. Um, and so when you start thinking about that, as you start, I, to me, I started thinking about the gloominess of the end of the 80s. But it takes on, to me, a separate meaning because it's featured so prominently in Less Than Zero. Yeah, that's where my mind always goes when I hear yeah. this. And to me, there is no more gloomy of a movie in the 80s um, that kind of just sort of signals, hey – you know, playtime's over. Yeah, time it's, to put on your big boy pants. Yeah, you have real problems <laughs> now, and you, that's that's all you get to ha- get to focus on for the rest of your life. <laughs> wow, Jeez, Steve. Uh, if you'll excuse well. me, I got to visit the liquor cabinet. <laughs> so, quick, get to Steve's house and put away all the sharp objects. <laughs> Jesus. When the scene where Andrew McCarthy's like walking, uh, you know, into the party that his friends are throwing and. You know, it's just this every, just this total detachment, and just this whole like, you know, the page has turned. Yeah, and you know, I'd love to comment about this, but I haven't seen this movie. What? It's, it's yeah, it's probably worth it's, its own what? show. Yeah, it's a well. No, that's the problem. Is well, I mean, from the problem for me is I heard it was really dark and gloomy, and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I'm an I, uplifting so kind of guy. Never saw it. I, I'm I'm yeah. the kind of idiot who's too stupid to read the reviews about what it's about. All I saw was, "Hey, Andrew McCarthy and Robert Downey Jr." Why would I not want to see this movie? Yeah, uh, James Spader too. But um, yeah, but uh, a dark, dismal movie. A great song. Yeah, it's a great song. So in 1987, the Bengals were approached to uh, to do a song for Less Than Zero. They chose um, to do Hazy Shade of Winter, a song that they had, in fact, already been performing live for years and years. Mm, I didn't know that. Um, mm. They chose it because, to them, it sounded more like the way that the Bengals were conceived than the, the last few hits that we had heard from them. Okay. I mean, I guess they, I guess they had been feuding with producers and record companies about the Bengals' sound. But when the Bengals first got started, they had a much rock rockier edge and this song they felt kind of showed people this is what we meant this is this is why the Bengals formed this for, for sounds like this so um, it became a huge hit became a bigger hit in in 1987 than it did in uh, 1966 I believe it got all the way up to in the somewhere in the top 10 maybe number yeah. six number two number two. Oh wow two. and um, unlike most Bengal songs Lead vocals performed jointly by all four members, which is very unusual for them. Um, only just a slight uh, solo for Susanna Hoffs. So this song, to me, I think it sounds like an '80s tune to some degree, and certainly the '80s are full of songs that are covers from, you know, 20 years before, 30 years before. Oh yeah. Um, and one of these days, one of these glorious days, we'll start getting into like the, um, the covers. You know, I do a whole podcast on. 80s hits that were covers from previous decades, and then 80s songs that were covered into into hits in, in following decades. I think we're gonna have yeah. a lot of fun with that. Yeah, but, oh yeah. But um, to me, when I see this, all I think about is less than zero, and I just think, 
I can just see Robert Downey Jr. dying and and, and the decade with it. What well, spoiler alert, dude? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, dude. The movie's uh, thirty years old. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. gets very very sick, Robert and we don't Downey see him. Jr. makes we, some bad has, choices, and we and we don't. See, has he become Iron Man? If he dies, I don't get that. It's very complicated. He makes some bad choices. We don't see him again, but I'm yeah, pretty sure we don't fine. see him again. <laughs> He he goes off to a farm. He, was, he lives on a farm. Yeah, you know, friends. along with your first dog. Was, yeah, exactly. He was just sleeping at the end of the movie. <laughs> sleeping quietly in the trunk of the car. Wicked. It's not wicked. <laughs> He's napping. It's not wicked. But I mean, I think this this song is like the is, is our version of California Dream, and uh, you know, just bleak. And I wish I hadn't just blown my drug dealer, um, especially since he's about to kill me anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know we all make choices boy i can't wait to watch this am i back up again when we first started talking about this this was my answer and i think it is the canonical answer for the last hit of the 80s the last big song that that kind of brings all of us to that happy 80s place when we hear it i give you 1989's smash hit from the b-52s love show You know, this is a great choice, and you you would have had to fight us all off for them because to me it's it is uh, once again like you with your first song a, a song that very much captures the the feeling of the eighties. Yeah, you hear this and you think eighties exactly. And yeah, I didn't realize it was eighty nine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Either eighty four would have been fine, yeah. right? Um, you know, pre Live Aid. But it, at the same point, I can say too that. After hearing it 5,000 times in a year on the radio, come 1990, I was so ready to not hear oh, this song ever absolutely. again. Absolutely. You know, and we've talked, we've talked about this before. If I hear this on the radio, I change the station. But when you hear them play this live in person, it's the greatest thing you've ever experienced. I mean, it's just so good. You know, this was their, this was their first top 40 hit. Wait a minute. That was their first top 40 hit? Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, that's surprising. Made it to number three. And really, you know, you think about it, it put them back on the map. They don't have Love Shack. They don't tour today. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, or if they do, they're, you know, they're the opening act at a seven-band uh, oh. show in Las Vegas. This well, in, in all fairness, I mean, they took time off because their guitarist and founding member had died. Uh, and this was their comeback album after yeah. that. So, I mean, it was, yeah. you know, it wasn't so much that they were off the grid as it was that they had chosen to take a you know break but well that's true but i mean i think this, said, the hits that are on this album move oh, yeah. them to another level sure sure and yeah I, I gotta admit though even when they played it in concert when we were out in la and singing in the, in the hollywood bowl I, it wasn't was not my favorite song of this evening you know i was just kind of like okay here we go they're gonna have to play love shack i've just heard it too many times I did spend too much time though trying to figure out what, what the hell they were yelling at the end. You know, tin roof. What? What roof? What? Rusted. Bin Bin Wu. Who's that? I mean, I is he had the no producer? Idea. Is he the engineer? Yeah. So this the inspiration for this song was an actual shack that Kate Pearson lived in in the 1970s, and it's since burned down. Oh. Yeah. Um, Rolling Burning Stone down. named this the best single of 1989. And uh, it sits currently at number 243 in their uh, 500 Greatest Songs of All Time chart. See, and look at that. There's That's something telling right there. The best song 
1989 sits at 200 and what? 43, their, baby. 243 on their list of best it's songs. It's perfectly average, right in the middle of all those great songs. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it just it, it says, should say something to you right there that it just, the end of the 80s, this it's just not a good time. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Unless, unless you were into, um, you know, because obviously the end of the 80s, you had some bands like The Replacements who were, who were at the, their top of the game in the late 80s, the second half of the 80s. So unless you're talking about that particular band or a couple, there's a couple others, too, that yeah. flourished at that time. But for the most part, I think as a whole, the decade was just like it was over. I mean, to me, like the, the, what I love about the 80s like began like in 1976 or 77 and ended like in 1986. Right after Live Aid? Yeah. Yeah. Was that it for you? I mean, I think Live Aid is the high water mark yeah. of 80s pop culture. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For everything. Yeah, for yeah, exactly. And um so I mean it's a it's a fun song nonetheless. I, I can't stand to listen to it anymore, but it's a perfect pick for songs that ended the eighties, which means Drew, you're up with your last pick now. Wait, I gotta I gotta throw in one last fact here. Love Shack. Covered by none other than Alvin and the Chipmunks in no. their 1996 release, oh. Club Chipmunk, the dance mixes. Let's play it. You know what? Strangely enough, not as irritating as the B-52s version. <laughs> <laughs> That's the repetition. I guess. It's just, um... Anyway, so I guess that means, uh, Drew, you're up for your final pick. Yeah, and this was a pick where I went to, when I, when I was trying to figure out what Alex wanted, I was, I was looking at songs in the 90s that still sounded reminiscent of the 80s. And I was kind of surprised when I saw on 1991, uh, Jesus Jones with Right Here, Right Now. Man, I have not heard that song in forever. <laughs> no, yeah, but it is definitely of a time, isn't it? It is, and it, they, uh, the, the one that followed it was um, "International Bright Young Thing," which also has a very '80s sound. I mean, right here, right now has some like hard, uh, like orchestral string hits, and it just sounds so '80s. It's about the fall of the Iron Curtain, which happened, you know, really kind of in Reagan's time. But this was a song looking back at that and saying, you know, this is the moment in time and the moment in history that I want to be around. Um, there was uh, one of the other lyrics was, you know, watching the world wake up from history. Cause this song was really talking about looking at how the world had been on the brink of nuclear war for decades. And then with the fall of, of the iron curtain, they were able to say, you know, this is, we're now taking this leap forward. And it was such a positive, you know, the ab- absolute opposite of your hazy shade of winter. Huh? And it was, it was just, you know, yeah, here's the, very the world is opening up some upbeat. possibilities here. Exactly, exactly. But oddly, according to a book called The Last Party, Britpop, Blair, and the Demise of English Rock, the song was adopted by, adopted as an anthem by a lot of the bomber pilots of the first Gulf War. 
<laughs> Seems a little weird. I can't imagine flying over, you know, Baghdad going. You know, it's, you it's know. got a good beat and you can drop bombs to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's no place I'd rather be than dropping a wind right in the uh, chimney of this of this house. Um, so kind of an odd little moment about that one. Had I thought of uh, this quest or this uh, query in that sense, I might have picked the Scorpions' uh, Wind of Change. Uh, another song from 1990, which sounds, which has pretty much the same message. Yeah, yeah. My podcasting partner, he said that the Divinals "I Touch Myself" was also that was also 1990. It was, yeah, yeah. My final pick is I, I had I had a tough time deciding what song to pick, um, and I feel semi okay by going with Suzanne Vega and Tom's Diner. I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. And he fills it only halfway. And before I even argue, he is looking out the window at somebody coming in. See, that's another one of those songs, much like Tracy Chapman or Sarah McLaughlin. It's a female singer. It's very sparse. It's not overly produced. Uh, I don't think Brian Eno was anywhere near this uh-huh. one, <laughs> but it is it is such like I said it, it's such a, a pushback on what the music industry was putting out at that time. It's a very unique song, and I love this song. Yeah, I wouldn't say I love it, but to me, it it, it was one of those songs where I, it became a hit, and I was thinking at the time, this is what people want to listen to. This is what uh, stands for pop music these days, and I was just kind of like, well. Yeah, maybe it's time for me to start leafing through older albums again and, and listen to them. <laughs> and so to me, this is, that's why more than anything, this signifies the end of the 80s. Um, I could have picked, and I should, and I thought, I told you picking uh, Luca, but man, that's, I don't, that's another song I don't ever need to hear again. <laughs> at least, at least there's a some... A lot of airtime. Yeah, at least there's some fun little factoids associated with Tom's Diner. Um, most people probably know it's... Um, it's a song about Tom's restaurant in New York City, which was later uh, the setting for Monk's Cafe and the TV show Seinfeld. And the song is basically a, a vignette of someone stopping there for a cup of coffee and you know, reading the newspaper and stuff like that. So if, if writing songs was that easy, I would have been doing it a long time ago instead of podcasting. <laughs> See, I don't think this is something where you said it was standing in for pop music. I don't know if this was necessarily pop music. I think this was kind of people grasping for something that wasn't pop music. And that's why the song did so well. That's possible. I don't know. You you kind of you're kind of like bagging on this song, but I do. I really like the song. You said it was easy to write this kind of vignette, but I I like the way she put you in that moment and she put you in that diner seat looking out the window at the woman adjusting her, you know, her what was it pantyhose you're such or something? A voyeur, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just it, it it put you right there, and I I just always love that. And I'm actually it's funny. I, I was thinking about this song just the other day. To, to my daughters and I do this thing where we call switch songs, and we each take our iPods and while we're driving along, we each put on a song we want everybody in the car to hear, and we have to announce, "Hey, you know this song is by this artist." Here we go, and that way I get to introduce them to other songs. And it was funny because I saw the song the other day, and I thought, "Oh, I, I need to play this for them." Oh, in one of our switch songs. So now I kind of feel bad. I think for it's a great song. On it. You should feel bad. <laughs> Not too bad, though. There, no, feel bad. There's a um, urban legend that uh, Suzanne Vega, in an effort to confront her uh, horrific stage fright, she performed an acapella version of this song at the Princess Trust concert back in 1986 um, with the intention that um, if it went badly, 
fine. She's going to walk off the stage, and that was the end of the evening. Uh, but in fact, it, it um, people loved it, and she went ahead and performed a full uh, and well received set. That cool. Night. Oh, that's neat. So, but my favorite story about Tom's Diner is the fact that it is considered to be the mother of the MP3. Has anybody heard yeah. this story? No. No. This is bizarre. I didn't learn this until today. Um, I had heard the phrase before, mother of the MP3. I'm like, uh, it, it must have something to do with iTunes or something like that. It doesn't. Um, an article in a magazine called Business 2.0 um, many years ago revealed that um, the uh, audio engineer who invented what would become the MP3 audio compression used Tom's Diner as the song for the testing. Huh. Of the technology. It was uh, Carl well, Heinz. That would be really hard to do a good job compressing. So, yeah, yeah that would yeah. be a good That's why. Of, yeah. piece of so test. It was Carl Heinz Brandenburg. And as he recalled in the magazine, quote, I was ready to fine-tune my compression algorithm when somewhere down the corridor the radio was playing Tom's Diner. I was electrified. I knew that it could be nearly impossible to compress a, this warm of an a cappella voice. Very cool. And then I guess in a documentary a few years later, he basically said, as he ran it, he he just kept running it until Susanna's Vegas voice sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because now in P3, it's like some of the worst compression out there. If you listen, you know, everything's AAC or lossless or some other versions, yeah. but nobody uses MP3. Uh, we use MP3 for yeah. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't like it either, but that's just the way it is. I would love to have our podcast be a wave. For two guys talking or three guys talking, as the case yeah. may be, it's probably it's okay. fine. All the content gets through. It's file yeah, size. All the content you got to worry about file size. Yeah. You know what else you have to worry about? The size. Ah, the mystical refrain that is reader mailbag. And as fate would have it, this uh, week's reader mailbag is about. Uh, songs that began and ended the 80s. And it's from uh, our friend Brent Hayes. So, Brad, you want to do the duties? So, Brent writes, Hi, Steve, Brad, and Drew. Woohoo! I loved your podcast on the origin of the 80s sound and music. I personally would have added Van Halen 1 as indicative of the direction of rock guitar in the next decade, but I wanted to contribute to your follow-up on the end of the 80s sound. I would argue that, while it is not the driving force in mainstream hit music now the way it was then... The sound of the 80s is still alive and well in the 21st century. For instance, Supergroup Asia still puts out albums that have that 80s arena rock sound. I believe off of their 2010 album Omega is a personal favorite. And Night Ranger, ACDC, Tears for Fears, and other 80s mainstays are still producing good music. New artists are also embracing the 80s sound. Arcade Fire's album The Suburbs is heavily influenced by the 80s, and the song Sprawl 2, Mountains Beyond Mountains, sounds a lot like new wave group Blondie. Daft Punk's latest album even sounds like it could have been released in the early 80s. I think the 80s sound is alive and well. It's way too big to be kept stuck in the 80s. Your friend, Brent Hayes. Wow. Yeah. Such optimism. It's, he's, that's very uplifting. It's a good <laughs> counterpoint to your angst and horror. <laughs> Oh God! Wow! I, I I would say that um, you know, Asia has put out a couple albums lately. I don't know that they're great, but they're, but they're new. Um, not, 
Uh, oh snap! Um, Night Ranger at their last album that they put out, I, I reviewed it. I remember thinking this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, but ACDC, you know, Tears for Fears. I mean, there's there's plenty. I mean, uh, you know. Well, is it still the is it still the latest Duran Duran album? The um, yeah, yeah. I really, I really like that album. Oh yeah, actually, that's a great we listened to it here this morning. Oh, you need is now. Yeah, that yeah. that is some. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. It is. Um, Depeche Mode still puts out pretty good music. So I mean, there's still it's still around. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I actually had written down a couple songs that I thought were very '80s esque, but they aren't '80s bands. There was a Airborne Toxic Event has ones called Half of Something Else, which sounds very '80s, and also Muse has a lot of '80s stuff, and Starlight is very '80s. So there's still some yeah. some stuff coming out, and I think that follows under you know we had bands like you, you know, like Hazy Shade of Winter was a a cover of from 20 years right. before because that was their influences. Their influences, yeah. Exactly. Now our now, you know, our groups are the influences of the bands of now, so they're picking up songs and sounds that are very 80s-esque. Damn straight. Hey, we always love your email, especially if you have a great story. Uh sad stories go straight to the top of the list. <laughs> Steve <laughs> loves him a good sad story because yeah. it makes him feel better about and, himself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um the email address is sit80s at gmail.com or uh, if you want to just email Brad, because Brad's very popular, uh, Brad in the eighties at gmail dot com, or you can reach me at Steve in the eighties at gmail dot com. Oh, and if you want to write Drew, you just send us a letter. And we'll forward it. We promise. We'll burn it. <laughs> How do you burn an email? First, you print oh, it out, man. then you burn it. <laughs> Jeez, are you having another one of your uh, your cocktails from the? From the 40s? Uh, actually, no, I'm not because it's the morning. If I was having anything, I'd be having a Bloody Mary. But I have uh-huh. a sinus infection instead, so I feel funky without any alcohol today. Jeez. All right. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s, and if you can get it right. Um, no prizes this week, I don't think, but uh, you, you earn our praise nonetheless. Pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. Junior high, I played bongos in this band, and I fell in love with our lead singer. And she sang, we've only just begun, as sweet as Karen Carpenter. Ah, uh, I can't quit Andrew McCarthy. That's, uh, yeah, that's, our bo- that's our boy Andy in St. Elmo's Fire. Do you guys know that uh, McCarthy these days is pretty much a travel writer? Yeah, I'd seen that. Really? He, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, award-winning. It seems like most of those guys are producers now. You know, they're directors for stuff. No, he's a full-time travel writer, and he... Um, I think he's written a book or two. He's also worked for the magazines that I work for right now. Hmm. Islands Magazine. He's done Future some work. interview. Future interview. I want, I've been, <laughs> trust me, I'm angling for a way to say, you know, I know you don't want to talk about the 80s, but could you just do it this one last time? Come on, dude. You're in mannequin. Give us that. Yeah. What writing assignment do you want? You want to go to Australia? You're going to have to talk about the 80s a little bit first. You get something? I get something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brad, read the winners. This week's winners include Lance Eden, Dave Cedillo, Rickster from Rick. I'm sorry, Rick Star, not Rickster. Rick Star from Woy Woy, New South Wales, Australia. That sounds made up, but okay, I'm going with it. <laughs> Robert Jordan, Keith, who never got the girl from Port Huron, Michigan. Shazam from St. Louis, and David Young in District of Columbia. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. I'm a regular kind of guy. Okay. Don't disappoint me. If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com or stevenedies at gmail.com, bradneedies at gmail.com. 
Somebody pulled the plug? What happened? Bonus bonus if you can actually count how many times I just coughed with <laughs> that latest interruption. And tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain of Name That 80s Tune. Um, as you expect, we'll play a snippet from a song this time from the 80s if you can get it right. Um, I will cough over Brad's uh, pronunciation of your name in next week's show. But f- but first, pay attention. Here is the clip from last show. I told you it was going to be a country song, and it, <laughs> and it was a country song. That's Love Will Turn You Around by Kenny Rogers. Let your mind knew this one i heard it it was one of those ones where it's like i just couldn't reach back in my brain far enough to get it because oh man it was killing me <laughs> so i have a buddy that went to school with one of kenny rogers kids kenny rogers i think it was kenny rogers jr and he drove a rolls royce to school oh no oh wow yeah that doesn't seem right yeah you know what are you gonna do I mean, unless I guess, he wrote i guess the maserati was in the shop I wouldn't do that if I were, you know, if I were real famous and I had the money, I just still, you know, my kids would still have to drive a, you know, a brand new Mustang, something like that. Yeah, that'd be fine. <laughs> uh-huh. You could have a 1982 white Mustang with a fake hood scoop. Ooh. Um, Brad, read the winners. Uh, nothing would please me more. Winners include Dave Dirt, Rick in Houston, Kevin Wench, John in Phoenix. Chris in Cincinnati, Rob, your friendly neighborhood Snyder man, Snyder from <laughs> New Jersey, Ken Ward, Lisa Brown, Alex in San Jose, Todd in Minnesota, Tom Johnson, Beat Poet J, Timmy Williams from Hughesville, Illinois, Paul from Return to the 80s, and Christian Lopez in Duluth, Minnesota. Wow, a lot of country listeners out yeah, there. Yeah, it was I, a big hit. It I was thought big, yeah. it was a big hit. Yeah. I thought for sure. And it just means that it's just a matter of time before we do our six pack podcast. <laughs> Featuring an interview with Aaron Gray. Well, now you now you have my attention. <laughs> yeah, I'm back in. <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us. You know the email addresses by now. And if I say them again, I'll start coughing. And then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Chips will not be seen tonight so that we may bring you a very special program. The show you are about to see begins NBC's Get High on Yourself week. Both this special and the week that follows were inspired by a public service message, a message that marked the beginning of a new spirit in this country. In a moment, you will see that spirit grow before your very eyes. McDonald's has always believed in the youth of America, and that's why your local McDonald's restaurants are proud to bring you the following special program. As a salute to your spirit and imagination. You make the most of what you are. To us, you really are a star at McDonald's. And we're back. And uh, like I said before, um, I want to make sure everyone knows it's not too late to send us your suggestions on songs that you think ended the 80s sound. 
Uh, what were some of the songs you guys cut from your list like at the last minute? Well, I had uh, thought about, you know, I was kind of stuck with songs that were like the end of something rather than the beginning or something or, or picking it up later. And one of the, the albums that I just loved in the mid-90s was Elastica's album. Um, it's kind of a punk rock, post-punk. You remember the song Connection probably, oh, yeah. a big single. It's just a great album. And when I heard it, I'm like, the 80s are back. <laughs> I think uh, for me, the end of the 80s was signaled by the anything off of jock jams. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially because I started editing, um, you know, a lot of corporate stuff in the 90s for like Disney and a lot of their sales meetings. And they always wanted like, Disney's coming out with some great movies. And then it was like, y'all ready for this? Dun, 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 dun. You're just like, oh, God. I got... <laughs> that and Katrina and the Waves walking on sunshine. Those two <laughs> Was that, that wasn't late 80s. That was more mid 80s, right? Or even no, early like 80s. They still wanted us to use that. Even in the late 90s, that was the big, I mean. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I. So, on my list until the very last second, and I don't know why, was when I when I see you smile by Bad English. Oh, okay. And I I'm not and I I threw it on there and I'm like aha that's my song. Yeah, it's like arena rock. It's mm-hmm. like it's like power ballad arena rock, and to me it was like probably the last power ballad arena rock song. And the demise of Bad English was just so gruesome. Yeah. That to me it was just kind of like. You know, just like this little mini, you know, thermonuclear explosion that ended the band. And I thought that's kind of an appropriate way to, to end the 80s. <laughs> the 80s. Another one that I had picked that I, I left off because I wanted to keep my hold on Love Shack was Pump Up the Volume by Mars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, because that was something totally like, whoa, what's this? This is, whoa. You yeah. know, all the sampling and just like, okay, this is something different. Yeah. yeah, we didn't discuss a lot of rap, which isn't surprising because it's three white guys. But we also didn't discuss a lot of hair metal bands. So maybe if some fans have some hair yeah. metal bands. Yeah, yeah I mean, know. I think it's – I know this was in the comments. A lot of people said, well, you know, Nirvana killed – you know, grunge killed hair metal. And I think that's not really a discussion. That's just a fact. <laughs> but yeah. we could talk about what some of those – you know, what were those last hurrahs for the hair metal bands? Yeah, yeah. Almost a podcast unto itself. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it just this is the the topic that just keeps on giving. It really <laughs> is Alex. great. I think we need to send Alex a fruitcake. <laughs> yeah, I have one from the eighties that my grandmother. Oh my god! It probably tastes just as good as it did back then too. Anyway, that's all we have for today. Um, like I said, um, there's time for you to send in an email with your suggestions. Uh, you know the addresses by now, or drop off on our Facebook page and, and send us a personal message there. Give us yeah, your nominations. If we, wrong, if, if we were wrong, talk to Steve about it. If we were right, talk to me about yeah, it. Yeah, that's nice. And uh, and then we will come back and we'll give you full credit, of course, Mr. Spicoli, when we do the uh, the next episode on the end of the 80s with Doesn't your this, suggestions. Make this our time, Steve? It is our time. But sadly, our time is over. So you can have a have a snack and listen and learn about Cuba another time. <laughs> in the meantime Drew and Brad uh, as, as always thank you for helping me out today this has been a blast my pleasure and uh, for the rest of you stay tuned because as always we are still hopelessly stuck in the 80s Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production please listen responsibly
I didn't overdo it. Did I, I? I don't think you can overdo it in a stuck in the '80s skit. 